When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, this is John Katsimatidis, and boy, what a show we have for you again today. I mean, we... People have been tuning in in record highs because our streaming has gone to the moon. Well, we are hitting all the topics. And, John, by the way, i got to make sure everybody knows we are going to have Governor Glenn Youngkin is coming up on he's the show in, in just a few minutes. And he's got some uh, uh, an exclusive interview with him. And Can't he's wait. He's got some interesting news. Uh, in the studio, we have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, a common sense Democrat. And uh, we have... Uh, uh, borough President Vito Fasella and uh, yeah, hot common area. sense Republican and and what problems that uh, are happening down in Staten Island. Oh my gosh, there are so many issues going on. Because what is it? It's a it's a retirement home, right? That they're trying to change into another migrant center, Vito. That's right. It was, it was uh, senior housing, and they actually forced the the remaining seniors out. They've been sitting vacant, and now it's proposed to be a migrant. Uh, Migrant Center in wow. Little Beach. What a mess. Uh, by the way, Curtis Lee, you were busy last night at a big rally at uh, Creedmoor. Yeah, of talking course, about talking the migrant centers, Curtis, I mean, he he is our star guy monitoring everything that's going on in the streets in New York. And he's on every day with Sid now at 7.05. And he's on with us at 5.03. And give us the afternoon data. What the heck is going on? Well, we had 4,000 people show up at our demonstration, but it doesn't start with one demonstration. We've had five before. It builds up. It percolates. You get more and more. And the rules yesterday was no politics, no mentioning of Republicans, Democrats, and the, the majority of the demonstrators were moderate Democrats. They, and tell us what they were saying. Uh, well, they're co-op owners, so they obviously are their shareholders. And they do not want a tent with a thousand single, illegal, able-bodied men on Creedmoor who have the freedom to come and go in the neighborhood in eastern Queens where there's nothing to do and nowhere to go. In fact, before the rally started, I'm getting out of the parking lot and an emotionally disturbed guy crosses the street right from Creedmoor. They always come to me. And I interview him. I'm going to play it tomorrow. He's exclusively for WABC. He describes how inside for the patients, there's no security. They're free to come and go as they want. And so you're going to now have a thousand illegal, able-bodied young men with nothing to do and nowhere to go roaming throughout their neighborhoods. The people were there because they realized. So we got the problem in Queens with Cridmore, and now they're going to attack uh, Staten Island. Uh, Vito Fasella, what the heck is going on? I mean, the people in Staten Island are angry as heck. You know, we about a year ago, in fact, it was on this show, we said that this whole policy was just an unsustainable event. It was going to cost a ton of money, and it was going to cause disruption. Now, what we did, in this one, this is so weird because you had people, there was a 95, 96 year old woman who was forced to move out oh. of this 
facility. And now people have been in this country two weeks, three weeks. They're going to have a nice view of the of the water. So I mean, they they, they get the foreigners are getting. Preference over the American citizens. That's right. You know, John, this really got my goat. Uh, there was a migrant at McCarran Park where they've set up about a hundred cots. She was talking about how great the food is that they get to swim from 12 to 5. Uh, they get to do everything. And I'm sitting there thinking, it'd be nice to have a life like that, Curtis. Well, you know, Lua. the hipsters and millennials welcome them at first because it's changed here. You should and, be. And, and Judge Weinberg, we, we're going to have to go to, uh, to, uh, Solomon is calling. Yep, he's calling in with some big breaking uh, news. Some breaking news. But I understand the new numbers between you and Vito, $12 billion. That, right. That, uh, but is that a number that uh, Mayor Adams is just throwing out to see if he can get a check from Washington? I don't know. I mean, if you remember, the first estimate was about $640 million, but that was predicated on a much smaller amount. If you're getting 2000 more a week, it's not un- right. it's not out of the ordinary. We have to go to breaking news now. We have John Solomon for Rita. Breaking news, WABC. And joining us now with some big breaking news is John Solomon with Just the News. John, this is a blockbuster. These bank records... First of all, the amount, who they're from, and some interesting, it looks like, activity that came either soon before or after. Go ahead. Yeah, listen. First off, uh, the top line is that what we used to think was a few million dollars that came from foreign sources is now $20 million came in from foreigners to companies associated with Hunter Biden and his business partners. They came from Russia, from Kazakhstan, from Romania, from Ukraine, of course, and from China five countries that often raise red flags in the banking industry and in political circles. But the pattern is perhaps most important. In this new memo that James Comer released to us uh, this morning, you see millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars coming in in a payment shortly before the foreign payee, the oligarch in that case, gets a chance to have dinner with Joe Biden at the Cafe Milano Ritzy restaurant here in Washington, D.C. Let me give you a couple examples. Russian oligarch, Elena, Yelena Batarina, she uh, was married to the former mayor of Moscow, a figure that some U.S. officials considered corrupt, her husband, that is. Uh, she had some trouble getting into the banking system because of those allegations against her husband. She paid $3.5 million to a company associated with Hunter Biden and his business partner, Devin Archer, in February of 2014. And voila, two months later, she's in a dinner with Joe Biden. Let's take another one. Uh, Kenneth Rakashev. He is a, a, a Kazakh oligarch in the oil or energy industry. He makes a $142,300 payment to a company associated with Hunter Biden. Devin Archer, the very next day, the, the Hunter Biden company pays for a $142,300 car, a luxury car for Hunter Biden. That same month, Kenneth Rakashev joins Joe Biden for a dinner at Cafe Milano. And a third one, because it's always on our lips. And on the top of our mind, Burisma Holdings, that was the crooked company in Ukraine that had a corruption investigation. The State Department considered it corrupt. $6.5 million flows to Hunter Biden companies from that company, uh, uh, from that Ukrainian company. And in April of 2015, uh, their, one of their top executives, Vadim Pazarsky, by the way, a guy the FBI flagged in its informant report as possibly invo- being involved in a bribery scheme with uh, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden. Uh, he gets a dinner with Joe Biden, a dinner that Joe Biden originally denied happened. So this pattern of pay and then get access uh, to Joe Biden has really stands out in this memo as, as perhaps the freshest and most important revelation in a lot of new bank records. You know, this is stunning. And by the way, the sanctions too. uh this former mayor of Moscow's wife, 
didn't get sanctioned at a time yeah. where there were so many Russian businesses that were being sanctioned, oligarchs. Uh, this right. was, th- I mean, that's, there's some really interesting stuff of activity and timing and all this. What does this say to you, John Solomon? Because it doesn't sound good for then the current vice president, now the president of the United States. Yeah, listen, I think in Baterina's case, I've talked to a lot of people. I think she was considered to be one of the less controversial oligarchs. Her husband was a different story, but he died uh, by the time the sanctions came around in 1819, so he wasn't around anymore. I don't think Elena Baterina would have made the sanction list no matter who was president. I do think at the end of the day, what you see is a pattern now emerging. And this is something that James Comer has been saying, where Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and uh, Hunter Biden and his business partners, they were going out and targeting foreign oligarchs who had legal problems, right? About Arena, maybe with her husband a little bit. Uh, she had a problem getting money into the banks. There's a lot of emails I've made public where she couldn't get a U.S. bank account. And that's what Hunter Biden and his team was helping her do. You know about uh, Burisma and its corruption problems. They targeted that guy. Gabriel Papavicu, he was a Romanian oligarch. He had corruption allegations against him in Romania. Uh, Hunter Biden was trying to help him out. You get the Chinese energy company, CEFC China Energy. It's Chairman Yi Jiaming. He's detained in China for suspected economic crimes and bribery. And a second CFC official named Patrick Ho was actually charged and convicted in the United States of bribery at a time when he was working directly with Hunter Biden. So you see a pattern of Hunter Biden doing business with foreigners who had some baggage, had some issues, so had some corruption allegations or other things around them, and that's who they're making their money from. I think that's something that's beginning to disturb Congress. Uh, it doesn't seem to be an accident that they were targeting these sort of people for business. Well, and that's the point. We're hearing from, of course, a lot of Republican members of Congress today who are saying no member of Congress would be dealing with these individuals just on the surface, that it looks like, you know, a pay-for-play. It's unseemly, even if the president, uh, then vice president at the time, was on the phone with them, then having some of these dinners, some of these other meetings, that it just ethically looks bad, and they would know that, that that would be a red flag. Um, real quick, we just have about a minute left, John, and I want to get, uh, you have some new big details on Fauci, too. Go ahead. Yeah, listen, 20 years ago, I did the first FOIA that revealed that NIH had got royalties for experiments that we, the American taxpayer, paid. A new effort today, uh, Open the Books, a good watchdog group, they uh, got a new FOIA out to $325 million in royalties for medical inventions and drugs have been paid to NIH scientists, scientists like Francis Collin and Anthony Fauci. We know them well from the pandemic for inventions that you and I, the American taxpayer, paid for. They get to keep the profits. We paid the bill. A lot wow. of people are concerned about that. $325 million of royalties. Just think about that. That's a lot of money. John Solomon, thank you. You are always awesome. Thanks for joining us here on Cats and Cosby. You're terrific. Well, that was a great interview, Rita. And uh, right now we're going to take a break. and We're going to come back with Governor Youngkin. And Governor Youngkin has so many important things to talk about. He he cares about education. He cares about energy in his state and so many things. Let's take the break and we're going to come back with Governor Youngkin uh, from the great state of Virginia. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. 
And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. Well, joining us now is the great governor from the great state of Virginia. He is the 74th governor of Virginia. He's also a top American businessman, uh, also a member, of course, of the Republican Party, and also a basketball player early on, as he was telling us. And joining us now is the great governor, Glenn Youngkin of Virginia. Really wonderful to have you here and great to talk with you again here, Governor, on Cats and Cosby. Rita, thank you so much for having me, John. Thank you as well. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And and I'll tell you, things in Virginia are really moving. Uh, we've had really strong job numbers, and we got people back to work. We had uh, record uh, numbers in our labor force. And as a result, our uh, the state coffers are full. We have over a $5 billion surplus for the last year. Uh, that's on top you're, you're, you're probably, of the tax cuts. You're probably one of the only states to have that kind of surplus. Uh, Governor, there's so many things that you're concerned about. You got elected based on uh, education and you got uh, elected based on parents' rights in education. Uh, uh, where would you like to start today? Well, that's, I think, a great place to start because I just had a fabulous uh, uh, town hall yesterday with parents in Henrico County. And we were we were talking and I was listening uh, to the concerns from these parents. And, and, and John, let me tell you, the, the concerns are the same. They're, they're concerned about academic standards, and they want to make sure that we continue to return Virginia to being top of the pack in academic expectations. They want to make sure they have a seat at the table and that we continue to drive to put them at the head of the table when important decisions are being made in their child's life. That doesn't mean there's not a teacher and a counselor at the table, but the, te- but the parent has to have the single most important word at the table. And finally, they're very concerned about the influence of social media on their kids. And uh, we pushed hard this past legislative session. You know I have a House that we control as Republicans, but a Senate that the Democrats control. We pushed hard to, to have a bill that would extend up to, up to 18 years old protections so that the social media companies couldn't gather data from kids and package it and sell it. Uh, without a, without parental consent, and it would be very restrictive and big penalties, and the Democrats blocked it. They chose social media companies over kids. Parents are concerned because they see what it's doing to their children. Education continues to be an enormous topic. We've made huge strides in Virginia from where we started, but I'm still working hard on it every single day. Now, as, as far as crime, there's a mass exodus in, in New York and uh because of the crime situation, people want to be able to walk to their restaurants and, and feel safe. Uh, and the southern states, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia. T- tell us what's going on with crime in Virginia and how, uh, uh, how effective you guys are and, and is it leading to uh, increasing the population? Well, John, it's a huge issue that uh, some states are facing and some states aren't. And it starts with uh, recognizing you got a problem, and that problem is is underpinned by two key things: one, badges on the street, and when you have when you have depleted uh, manpower and people leave because they weren't supported and respected, uh, you got to stop it. And that's the first thing we did. We had uh, record raises for law enforcement, and I back the blue, and I want to make sure every law enforcement hero in the Commonwealth of Virginia knows that. But second of all, you have to have prosecutors who are going to prosecute. And there's nothing that is more, more disruptive to a law enforcement agency when they do the work and they make an arrest and then a prosecutor chooses not to prosecute. And uh, we're battling this because we, we have many counties where the, where the attorney, Commonwealth's attorneys, which is what we call our prosecutors, 
were, were backed by George Soros and elected, and, and they don't prosecute everything, and it's really deflating. Uh, and so we're working with our attorney general, Jason Miaris, who's a rock star in Virginia, and uh, we have rolled out uh, a, number of, a number of initiatives, Operation Ceasefire, which allows him to directly hire prosecutors who can get engaged in, in some of the most violent cases where there's, there's uh, both a state and a federal uh, application of the law. Um, and we're seeing real progress. Uh, we, we rolled out uh, last year uh, a whole initiative called Operation Bold Blue Line, and that's to recruit and retain uh, law enforcement officers across the Commonwealth of Virginia. We're bringing task force of local and state and federal resources. And we just uh, released, released some data where, where we, had, we had extraordinary drug, drug captures. And it's just hugely important to interrupt the gangs and the drugs, which are all over the country. You know, what we've seen uh, with the porous border, the, 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 the national security crisis that we are seeing with, with an open border uh, makes every single state a border state. And uh, just literally in the last now eight months, we've had 2,000 pounds of illegal narcotics that have been seized, 47 pounds of fentanyl. And that's enough to kill every Virginian multiple times. We've had 1,600 arrests, uh, nearly 900 of those felonies. And uh, we're just going to work to enforce the laws, recruit law enforcement, and make sure the bad guys stay behind bars. You have a new word uh, in Virginia that I had never heard before. Uh, explain it to the American people, lab schools. Yeah, thanks. John, I believe that there should be parental choice in, in uh, where kids go to school within the public school systems uh, and through our tax-driven scholarships outside the public school systems. And, and uh, within the public school systems, we, we have launched a series of schools in collaboration with our great higher ed uh, institutions, uh, we didn't. Virginia has really been behind on charter schools, and so this is this is, I guess, our version of a charter school. And uh, and last uh, September, we launched the program. We've got twenty in motion. We've got uh, the first one taking students ready to go here in September, which is a coding lab school that's been put together in partnership with Virginia Commonwealth University with support from. Some of the some of the great great companies here in Virginia, but this is exactly what we need to do to provide parents the opportunity to work with their child and pick the best path. You know, the idea that one size fits all in education is really a one size fits none, and we need to provide we need to provide choice in, within the public schools and outside the public schools. And I'm very very pleased with our lab school initiative. We have 20 in motion that are in planning stage. Everything from lab schools in healthcare, lab schools in maritime industries, lab schools in the skilled trade, lab schools in the space industry, lab schools in STEM and tech. Uh, it's really exciting to see innovation come to life and to provide options for families. Now, early voting. I remember when we were together at one point, you were very upset on early voting because you felt you had very little control over that long period of time on voting. Tell us what you, uh, what Virginia is doing on that. Well, first we have our we have uh, our midterms are this year. You know we're one we're one year off most of the national elections, and so uh, I was hired in 2021 as governor, and and here we are uh, with our state's midterms with our entire house and our entire Senate up. These are critical elections, and I'm tired of going into elections you know down thousands and thousands of votes on election day. And so uh, we have organized an aggressive early voting absentee ballot effort uh, to provide uh, an opportunity for voters, but particularly Republicans to 
get off the sidelines and and make sure that their vote is secured. It's we've 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 branded it secureyourvotevirginia.com. We have a website where people can go and make a plan to vote early. They can order an absentee ballot. They can sign up on the permanent absentee uh, absentee list or they can just find where there's an in-person place to go vote early. We start on September 22nd, so it's right around the corner. This is a sprint. These elections are critical. We've got to hold our House, and we've got to flip our Senate, and we're looking to these early, early vote participants to help us do it. Now, one of the most important things, you have an energy program. I understand that some states, I think Georgia is trying try to start one, are called SMRs where you're going to have energy from for the future because we all know we hey, we love solar we love wind but that they can never deliver enough energy to run our country tell us what you're doing uh, well let's back up and just talk a little bit about what's happening to the overall power supply and we're seeing it all over the nation uh, and just recently, the, the, the PJM, which is the, the grid management entity for, for the Mid-Atlantic, uh, pull, had to pull the, the, the alarm cord because they said that, that the grid was becoming unstable, that fossil fuel uh, power generation was being decommissioned far too fast, and they, nobody could build the replacement uh, in wind and solar to, 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 to keep the grid stable. This is a problem that I think is not just PJM, but it's across the country, and it's particularly uh, present in Virginia. And we, we right now uh, need to have more generation. Virginia's economy is growing. You know, we had we have, uh, we had 200,000 more people working uh, today than we had just 18 months ago. we got companies coming. Um, they're building data centers and all kinds of other great, great uh, uh, drivers of the future of the economy. And we need, we need more power. And so I do firmly believe that nuclear is the solution and uh, the great strides that have been made in small modular reactors. Uh, these, these are anywhere from 250 to 500 megawatt power capabilities. Um, they're modular. Uh, they, they, in fact, can provide uh, you know, great flexibility in building out the grid with baseload power. See, the key with nuclear is it runs 24 by 7. And it doesn't just come on when the wind is blowing or the sun is shining. And so we, we, signed, we signed forward a, an, an entire initiative for our Department of Education to undertake an all-of-the-above, all all-American energy plan to embrace innovation, to invest in innovating around small modular reactors, to invest in, and innovate around hydrogen, carbon capture, and, of course, power storage. We need, we need all of it. Because Virginia is growing, and I'm not about to have a moment where we have a business that wants to come here and can't get a dependable and reliable power supply that's affordable and increasingly clean. We can do it all. Yeah, bravo. Uh, everybody, we are talking to the great governor of Virginia, Governor Glenn Youngkin. You know, Governor, too, you know, to John's point also earlier where he was talking about parents' rights, um, you're you're very big, and I think you you led. This is why people so embraced you. Sort of the push for morality back in America and in Virginia. Talk about sort of those values and your thoughts on restoring that. Well, it all starts. It all starts with not just respecting, um, but re-empowering the role of parents in their children's lives. And, and and in our state code, it's just very clear. It says that parents have a fundamental right to make decisions with regards to their their children's upbringing, education, and care. And, and it's just very clear 
The flip side is that the previous administrations, I think, had really not read that in code and had had really uh, enabled the the elimination of parents' involvement in their children's lives. I mean, children belong to families and to parents, not to bureaucrats and politicians and the government. And this is at the heart of making sure that we allow families to make decisions that are best for their family. One of the early pieces of legislation that I was so pleased to get through uh, on a bipartisan basis was allowing families to have great, great transparency into what's in their curriculum. And if there's sexually explicit materials in their curriculum, then they can request to have it removed and replaced. Uh, we're doing everything we can to make sure that parents have the visibility and the transparency, but also the ability to make a decision. This is critical. Families have to decide what is most important to them, and it should not be imposed on them by bureaucrats and politicians and administrators. Yeah, bravo. Uh, everybody, we are talking to the governor of Virginia, uh, Vito Fasello, Staten Island Borough President. Vito Fasello, you've got a question for him. Governor, good good for you, and keep up the great work and the, and the messaging. And uh, as, a, as an example, New York City's kindergarten grad, uh, enrollment has dropped almost 20% in the last seven years, in large part because a lot of parents feel that they're left out of the decision-making, and many of them have given up on the school system. And and you have turned that around, and, and I think one of the watershed moments in the last 20 years was standing up for parents and saying that they have a right. I'm curious, how has that message resonated over the last 18 months, and what do you see happening going into the elections in November? Well, f- first of all, uh, this, is, this is a universally uh, supported message, and it's not Republicans versus Democrats, it's parents. Uh, this is not a political moment. It's a parent moment. And uh, I just have continued to see uh, just great support from across uh, all parts of Virginia, rural and, and, and urban and across all demographics uh, and all across, all across all socioeconomic groups, because they know at the end of the day, there's nothing more important to, to parents than the future of their child. Uh, and so we're, we're protecting it and, and enabling it with, with, with uh, a huge pickup in how we're preparing kids through education for the future. Um, I have to say it's also really good for Virginia because as we continue to see job growth and great companies come and, and, and uh, really create the jobs of the future, we need a great workforce. And so lots of people are moving here. That's fabulous. And then we need to make sure the folks that are growing up here are well prepared. Um, this rolling into our November elections, which start on September 22nd, is critical. And I think this is one going to continue to be one of the main moments for Republicans to stand up for families and for parents. You know, education used to be one of those topics that Republicans were a little sheepish about. And, uh, and we don't concede this ground anymore. I think this, this is a place where, where Republican values and policies win. It's demonstrated that When we stand up for parents and we stand up for excellence and expectations, we can lift the ceiling and the floor. We don't have to water it down. Kids are really capable and we should stretch them. And on top of that, we provide avenues so that parents get to exercise real choice and where their child is is going to school. It works. And uh, we're just seeing great strides, not just in Virginia, but across states led by other Republican governors as well. Governor Youngkin, we're down to the last minute. What else would you like to There's a few million Americans listening to you right now. What else would you like to say to them? Well, I, I guess the main, the main point is that conservative, common sense policies work. And when I stepped into to, uh, this great privilege in serving 8.7 million Virginians, uh, we put to work a whole new agenda. Uh, and we 
reduce taxes and streamline regulations and we backed the blue and we stood up for parents and, and high expectations in schools. We streamlined government and, and we've really gone to work on behavioral health. And, and what's been so encouraging is in 18 short months, um, we've watched the Commonwealth of Virginia really start to soar uh, with record labor force, 200,000 more people working uh, and people coming. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I measure frequently is the simple reality that people vote with their feet every day. Where do they want their future to be? And for nine years, more people moved away from the Commonwealth of Virginia than moved to it from other states. Net migration was negative for nine straight years. And all the data suggests that this has turned completely. The U-Haul data is really fun. One-way U-Haul trips. We used to be 31st in 2021. And just in 2022, one short year later, we were top five in the nation. We're top five in job growth. Um, it works. So wow. that's my big statement, which is common sense, conservative policies work, uh, and they, the freedoms and liberties that are derived from and, them, people embrace. And I think that's got to be and, the and governor, we, we stand, our country. We all stand for common sense. I just got a text. Of, What's SMR from a couple of, uh, of listeners? Small modular reactors. They're the same ones that are in nuclear submarines and, and they're safe for the last 40 uh, years and same ones in nuclear carriers and, and, uh, thank you for your innovation. Thank you for, uh, uh, making, uh, trying to make America the, uh, and the, making Virginia one of the best states. Yes. Buy a surplus in a state. My God, everybody else has a deficit. And great numbers too, as you were just talking about everybody moving to Virginia, you're doing something right that I think a lot of people could be looking at, Governor. Uh, Governor, we're so thrilled to have you here back on the show and loved uh, having dinner when you were here in New York recently. Well, thank you for having me. I always look forward to being with you, all of you. And so, Vito, Rita, and John, thank you. Have thank a you so day. much. Okay. okay, we're going to take a break. That was a great interview. He and, was uh, spectacular. He's very innovative. Virginia is coming a long way. And uh, let's take a break. And when we come back, we got to talk more about what's going on in New York with Vito and and what's going on uh, in our country. And We got a lot more on the border. In fact, the governor was talking about it. We got lots of stuff happening with all of that. And an update on the whales, too, John. The whales. Where's, where's my whales? Vito, how's the whales in Staten Island? Uh, the ones in the water? Um, <laughs> yes, those. <laughs> they're doing all right so far, but I think it's I think it's raised a very significant question: is what's causing their deaths, and I think it should think be addressed. I think we know. Yeah. But let's uh, let's take that break, and we'll be right back. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby after uh, that blockbuster interview, John. It was really interesting to hear Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia talk about so he many important issues. He cares about the students. He cares about the, par- the businesses, parents. Businesses. He cares about businesses. He cares about people. So I, I think he's got a long way to go in this country. He's a young man and... Uh, I, you know, I hope he sticks with it. Yeah, what do we have future. now? And one of the things he also talked about was national security and the border and what's going on. And joining us now to talk about, I thought, a really stunning report that just came out that we are giving, the Biden administration has given $2.35 billion to the Taliban in Afghanistan since the withdrawal. And there's another $1.7 billion remaining available for disbursement. 
What, what are we paying the Taliban for? Uh, I mean, I can't believe it. This is unbelievable. This came, John, from the Inspector General uh, of Afghan Reconstruction. Just released it. Everybody is stunned. And joining so us we, now. We, we ran away. Yes. I saw our people running away. R- running. And, 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 and the running Afghans running. Fast. We gave them We gave them $85 billion worth of equipment. We gave them the Air Force Base. We gave them the lithium. We gave them all the minerals. And now we're giving them more. I mean, what is it? And, John, the other day... Something's wrong. John, we talked about those women, too. The family members, remember, who were pleading and saying, where's the accountability? Now, you have Lieutenant General Kellogg on? Yes, we do. We have Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, former National Security Advisor. Of course, they're under President Trump and also with Vice President Pence at the time. Uh, General Kellogg, this is amazing. Uh, John just was going through, of course, all the things. They got Bagram. They got all the U.S. equipment that God knows whose hands they're in right now. It's basically the fourth biggest uh, military in the world, as you know, because of the Biden administration's policies. And now we find out that we paid them $2.35 billion, and there's another $1.7 that's sitting in a fund. What are we paying the Taliban for? you got to be kidding me. Yeah, well, Rita, thanks for having me on Cassie Cosby. It's always good to be with you. Yeah, I, I'm just not surprised anymore. I just reach a point where I just go, you got to be kidding me. And this is one of those where all of this stuff is they hope, this administration hopes it goes by, that nobody will pay attention to it, and they want to, pay, you know, tomorrow will be another story. But this is absolutely incredible. And I really have to grab both the Defense Department and State Department. You kind of, when I say grab me, you say, what's going on here? What is all this going you know, where's it going to? Where did it come from? How did we put this into the play? Because this has not been told to the American people until it's after the fact. So I, I agree with you. It's almost like you just go, you got to be kidding me. Where's all this coming? Yeah, coming it is disgusting. Somebody just made something's wrong. Boy, that's an understatement. Yeah. Why is. is there no accountability? I, I mean, there are so many levels right now of just jaw-dropping details between the family members the other day, uh, General Kellogg, which was gut-wrenching to see them saying that no one's been demoted, no one's even been moved over, no one's even gotten a slap on the wrist, uh, and now we're paying them for what? I mean, the American public... Uh, I will tell you, Democrats and Republicans, everybody, it's just common sense that they're going, what is going on here? And why has there been no accountability after the probably, and you know better than we do, General, but I consider it one of the most embarrassing withdrawals in American history, the way the Biden administration pulled out of Afghanistan. Yeah, you know, it's, it's almost like I was on Fox the other day and we were talking about listening to the uh, uh, to the hearing with the, the, the Gold Star families. And oh, by the way, the only network that covered that was Fox. So if, if CNN or any others in the networks ever want to talk about Gold Star families, they've lost all credibility to me. But they wouldn't even cover an hour, an hour and a half uh, discussion from the families who lost loved ones at the Abbey Gate incident in Afghanistan th- three years ago. And it, it, you're right about accountability, Rita, but it's worse than that. It's the fact is there's been no accountability for losing a 20 year war. I mean, nobody. And uh, nobody's even had an after action review. And I looked at those families, and I, the comment I made about those families listening to them was, you are hearing raw emotion, and the raw emotion from those families was it's exactly what you hear when you go to a dignified transfer, when the, when the carrying cases come back at Dover Air Force Base and they come off the aircraft, and you go up to those, and you, you, the families are in holding rooms, and you go into the holding rooms and you talk to them, just let them talk. You just let them get it out, and it's just absolutely gut-wrenching. I remember telling the president one time that, you know, sir, I really hate doing this. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, sir, this is just kicks me in the gut every time 
and and for for nobody to for other networks or people not to listen to what these families went through it's actually it's a little it's almost criminal and and i really feel up you know the fact that we have not really told those families what actually happened at Abbey Gate that day. And it's, again, it's a classic example of this administration just kind of walking past it and not talking about it and hoping that the American people won't care about it. It's been three years, and we haven't even had an after-action review on it. Well, and Fair you on. know what? You know what's interesting, though? The polls have showed it because President Biden dropped in the polls right after the Afghan withdrawal, and he has never come up in the polls. So I think there's something inherently in the American people that they're saying – uh, this is so wrong the way and shameless the way that we left our allies, left Americans behind. Uh, we're talking to General Keith Kellogg. Um, go ahead, uh, Judge Weinberg. Good to talk to you again, General. I want to ask you this question. Why can't we get an answer for the American people about who gave the directive, who gave the order to give Taliban control of security at that base with the evacuation? I don't understand that. Can you explain that? Well, what happened is that they just, they just had no ability or they didn't have any plan when the thing went bad. There was no plan to react to it. Look, they can talk all they want about not having a good plan, but we actually left them a good, it wasn't a great plan, but it was a good plan on how to do the evacuation if you ever needed it. And they just kind of ignored that. And we're not getting any response when people ask the questions because there should be hearings on it. I fault Congress a little bit on this of not having hard Afghan uh questions on, on what actually happened that day and actually happened during the withdrawal itself. You know, the fact is that they, they actually did a withdrawal or non-combatant evacuation out of Karzai International Airport when you had Bagram about 10, 15 minutes away, which was a very defensible airfield. Uh, the fact that the Taliban actually told the United States they were willing to give us full control of Kabul to do the evacuation, we turned them down. I know. I mean, that's it's, an absolute fact. It's and a disgrace. Like, excuse me? What's going on? It, it is a disgrace. Uh, General Keith Kellogg, you are terrific. We love you. And you got to come back on again soon. And, and thanks. We will keep sounding the alarm along with you on this because those families more than anybody deserve answers. Yeah. Thanks, Rita. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We always love having you. Thank you, General, so much. And now we have uh, Congressman Chris Smith from New Jersey. The whales. What's going on with the whales? They're dying and dying and dying. I love whales. Congressman, what's going on? And, and by the way, we have Vito Fisella in the studio who served with oh, you, Vito. right? He's a great guy. Great guy. Vito, how are you? I'm doing great, Chris. It's good to hear your voice. and uh, Good to talk to you. I tell you yeah. If there ever was a, a rock-solid guy in the United States House of Representatives, Vito Chris Don't see you in the Yankee uniform at the congressional baseball That's game. Right. You look like a Yankee. Congressman, <laughs> don't say that. He's in the studio with us. It's going to go to his head, you know? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Give us an update on the whales, too, of what's going sure. on. And, My and, goodness. And, you know, I just heard the end of it with uh, 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 General Kellogg. What a great interview. We had a hearing of the full Committee of Foreign Affairs on March 8th, and we had a Marine Sergeant, Tyler Vargas Andrews, who told us that the Taliban brutalized the people right in front of the U.S. service members, and as he put it, knowing that the U.S. was not going to do anything about it. He was severely wounded, uh, but just a, just an amazing amazingly brave uh, Marine, and there he was, hampered by the chain of command, which goes right up, of course, to uh, the White House. But, but you know, so you've asked great questions, and what a great guest you just had on. You know, where does it go from here? You know, because there has been a lot more um, in terms of with the whale deaths. 
uh, two dead yeah. whales in two months. Uh, that was one of the things I remember you and I talking about uh, when you, you joined the show in February. And now we're seeing more investigation. I mean, it, it seems to be dealing with the sonar. It also, one of the things that's interesting, um, and we, I didn't know this, Congressman, until you were sharing this, but I think it's important to note, it's even, obviously, we love our whales. Um, and the last thing you want to do is have it affecting wildlife. It also affects uh, planes, right? Walk oh, us through all of this because there's so many repercussions. Well, thank you so much for that. And, uh, you know, I read a, a study that was put out in 2022, so that's just one year ago, by the National Academy of Sciences that said clearly and unambiguously that radar and sonar will be malaffected uh, in a very, very serious way uh, by these wind turbines. And we're talking about 3,400 of them, 2.4 million acres, into Vito's area in New York, down New Jersey coast. Uh, and we're going to be blinded to an adversarial action that may occur, whether it be the, something coming out of Iran or Russia or China with Xi Jinping, that murderous dictator. And, and we won't see it. And I am shocked and dismayed at the, at the uh, Pentagon in not aggressively asserting themselves uh, uh, on this and say, you're not going to do it. Taiwan has said, we don't want these things because they're now blinded in some parts because they have wind turbines. Uh, Finland and Sweden has done the same thing because they can't see the Russians the way they would like to see them. Uh, and the same goes for Japan, which is increasingly concerned about you know China, uh, the Communist Party there, uh, and their hegemony uh, and, and threats that they're making. So it's a it's a, and again, one thing that was made in this report, and there have been several others that said similar things, uh, that there's nothing, no mitigating capability out there. I keep hearing from, you know, the wow. Ersteds of this world, you know, the company that's doing a couple of these, got approval for one of them down in South Jersey, uh, that, that, oh, we can just mitigate this and mitigate that. No, you can't. And we're going to be blinded in a way we've never been blinded before, uh, and it's all going to affect Airlines taken off, particularly when they're flying lower level. Uh, helicopters, search and rescue by the Coast Guard. They do about a 1,000 on our coast, uh, New Jersey's coast, every year. That's both boats and helicopters. Uh, are you kidding me? And, and so I did an amendment a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, uh, that did pass. It's on it's over in the Senate now that said that Biden would have to certify – uh, that there is no weakening, diminishment, uh, no degrading of our radar capabilities uh, that affects both commercial flight and all of that, uh, as well as private flight, but also our military and our national security. And everybody, and, uh, we're talking to Congressman Chris Smith. Uh, Vito Fisselli, you got a quick question well, yeah, Chris, for him. I think, and thank you for raising these concerns, because there are, there are many, and this is clearly one of them that's part in the pond, but off people's radar. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of folks from Staten Island spend the summers on the Jersey Shore, and, and like you say, it's beautiful beaches. I'm curious, are you seeing the support from the, the environmental groups in your efforts to try to address these concerns with respect well, to we're seeing it from one group that has a stellar record for 40 years or more, Clean Ocean Action, um, which I've worked with them on all kinds of ocean issues. We're not seeing it from the Sierra Club, and many of the traditional groups that are just hook, line, and sinker doing whatever our governor uh, and president of the United States wants to do, and that goes for your governor as well, uh, with regards to these these monstrosities. They're as tall as the Chrysler building, and there's going to be 3,400 of them. 3,400 of them? Wow. 3,400. And, and what it will do to the ecosystems below the water, 
it'll devastate it. You know, it's not just, you know, I, I said on the floor when I got an amendment passed, uh, getting a GAO study on this, and they're doing it right now. It passed uh, pretty overwhelmingly. Um, and it has all the right questions. And, and uh, we don't have the answers. And they're proceeding anyway. You know what Biden did with the Inflation Control Act? He got in their language and said if they begin constructing these monstrosities on or before January 2026, they get a 30 30 uh, percent tax credit, dollar for dollar, for the construction costs. And our governor is, is, is now completely passing that on to the company. He just got legislation to do that. Uh, and the ratepayers, we know beyond any reasonable doubt, are going to get sacked, socked. Wow. With an additional payments. Uh, they're going to pay more. And, and make-believe environmentalists don't care about our whales, don't care about the birds that get killed. It's I know, crazy. I'm shocked at it. It's crazy. Well, Congressman, you got to come back on again soon. Keep us posted on everything oh, you were that. talking about. The effects uh, uh, below, you know, in the water, in the ecosystem, and in the air. I mean, this is astounding. It's a debacle of steroids. And, and it's being blindly followed. And again, my governor in New Jersey, yep. uh, I can't believe how he, re- I mean, when the legislature just recently passed a, a law. That, we, j- we just have about the, 10 seconds left, Congressman. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, he wouldn't give an estimate as to what the cost was. We don't so I charged the or asked the um, GAO to give us cost estimates because they don't have them. Wow. Well, keep us posted. Keep us posted. A debacle on steroids mm-hmm. uh, from Congressman Chris Smith. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, Vito, good talking to you again. Always, a, always good to hear your voice, Chris. Good luck. Keep up the fight. Yeah, keep up the fight. And uh, speaking of the fight, there's definitely uh, a fight at the border. And joining us now is Mark Morgan, the former acting commissioner of Customs and Border Protection. Um, commissioner Morgan, we love having you here on the show. This has been astounding. The judge, uh, Judge Weinberg, and I have been talking about the armed cartels that we've been seeing, Judge. Commissioner, it's good to talk to you again. How do we allow armed people with body armor and AK-47s coming into our country. And why is nobody outraged by this? Judge, I, I tell you what, I, I couldn't have asked two more important questions. Judge, I'm with you. Rita, you and I have talked about this. It, th- this is something I don't understand. And there's several different data points we could talk about. But this is one of them where I don't understand why everybody in this country, as you said, isn't outraged and we're not united to, to, to drive common sense policies to secure our border. It's a I mean, war. When you see them, it's a war. It, it is. And read it. Look, you and I talked uh, uh, earlier today. This isn't the first time we've seen these pictures, right? This isn't the first time this has happened. It's not even the first time that's happened the last two weeks. There's another uh, a picture of a, of a drug smuggler that literally waded across the Rio Gravel, Grand River, armed with, with a, an assault rifle to, to get his commodity uh, across the border and then, and then went back to Mexico untouched, unnoticed. It, it was, it's, it's unconscionable that, that right now that we are in a position where our national security, our nation's safety and health are being jeopardized every single day by this, this administration, yet a, a good chunk of America is oblivious to it. Well, and you know what we're seeing also, as you know, you see reports, it's happening to every city across the country. Yep. New York City, for example, uh, Vito Fisella, Staten Island. Uh, now they're looking at taking over, uh, like basically a nursing home with migrants. We heard from Mayor Eric Adams yesterday, and this is getting tons of headlines, Mark, uh, where he said, you know what, it's not just my responsibility. It's basically everybody's responsibility. 
Um, but it, but it's we are overrun. I mean, you, it, you're busting at the seams there, Vito, in Staten Island. Yeah, and there's no end in sight, right? And that's part of the problem. And then we've said from day one it's a federal responsibility. We, we we it's a joke to pretend that the border is closed. It's not closed. They keep coming over and over and over, and they're settling thousands of miles away in Staten Island. And I'm curious uh, of the things you see on the border. What's the what's the one thing that sort of frightens the heck out of you? Well, I, I, I think what we just talked about, the armed gunmen, because here, here's what the majority of people don't understand, Vito, is that, is that illegal immigration is not a victimless crime. When you have, right now, in the first 29 months, over 6.4 million encounters are, uh, at our, our nation's border, that pulls resources off the line. It leaves large areas of our border unpatrolled, unmanned, and unsecured for the cartels to take over, uh, exploit, and really gain operational control. And when that happens... Look, everybody that comes across our border, they're not all good people. Now, I didn't say they're all bad, but they're not all good either. Yeah, they're not vetted. They're not vetted. They're not vetted. Look, we've talked about this. Also, in the last 29 months, 1.5 million known gotaways. Think about that. There are about 12 or 14 states whose population is less than 1.5. We've literally added a 50 per state of gotaways into our nation into the last 29 months. And among them are some bad people. The facts are there are murders, rapists, pedophiles, aggravated felons, MS-13 gang members. The list goes on, as well as potential national security threats and, of course, the drugs. So, Vito, to answer your question, D, all of the above, uh, our open borders, what scares me is that our borders are open. We don't have control. The cartels have operational control, and they're pushing drugs, criminals, and national security threats across our border every single day. That should scare the crap out of all of us. Well, it certainly does. Uh, Mark Morgan, wow, thank you for joining Thanks us on such update, an important Mark. thing. The former acting commissioner of Customs and Border Protection, Mark, thank you thank so you. much. Wow. Well, wow, stunning. End, yeah, we're at the end of another show. Vito, what are you going to do to protect the borders of Staten Island? I, I, <laughs> I, mean, I would say raise the tolls on the bridge, but they're already high enough. Um, I think the big unspoken question here is the right to shelter law that was passed, not even a legis, uh, not even a court order, a but a consent decree. decree. It's a consent decree. And it's got to be challenged. It was never intended to invite 50,000, 100,000 people yeah. and put a, them up uh, yeah, for free. Yeah, 1,000, 2,000, you can understand. 500. Yeah, yeah, now we're stop at 100,000 in the city. Stop calling New York City a sanctuary city. Yeah. Obey the immigration laws. Close the border. Exactly Close right. the border. Wow, well, John. <laughs> WABC is where you get the truth every day. And uh, thank you for tuning in. And uh, what we stand for, truth, truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. God bless America.